Amen. If you have uh, elementary age kids, we'd love for them to be a part of our Vine Kids time. They're welcome to go out those side doors if they're not already there. I know that a lot of our youngsters, with the Scots and the Kenworthies out, our numbers drop by a thousand. So uh, they're uh, Labor Day off, so 800 kids are gone. So, um, But we are, are really glad that you're here. Again, if you are here for the first time, welcome. We are honored to have you uh, here on this Sunday morning. It is really our privilege. My name is Trub Prater. I'm lead pastor here. We are grateful to have you with us. You've come at a really exciting time. Uh, summer's coming to an end. Fall's about to begin. A lot of exciting things are happening in the fall around here, and we're excited about them. We've been working through this book of Hebrews for quite some time. Um, this is kind of how I love to teach. It's my favorite part of what I get to do, which is to in. in basically introduce you to a love affair with Scripture. And our goal as a church is to have you fall in love with the Word of God. Like we want you to hunger for it, to want to study it, to know it, to have it ingrained as part of who you are. And so we love to work through Scripture, even the hard parts, even the challenging parts, to not gloss over and find just the verses that we think will make you want to come back next week. We really want you to have this incredible love affair with God's Word. I want you to go to it. I don't want you to believe a thing that I say. I want you to be able to look at God's Word and look for yourself. I want you to read every book or every sermon you ever hear, every podcast you ever listen to, and always measure it up against God's Word. I want you to know it that well. We deeply believe that an encounter with God's Word is actually an encounter with God. We believe that it is his very breath, the Theopunestos, which means the breath of God. We believe that's scripture. And so we want to walk through it. We want you to, to hear it. And this morning, we're in the middle of this journey, this half-year journey we've already been on, as we've gone through a very challenging book. It's actually a book with incredible intention, but it's challenging because the entire first two-thirds of it are deeply theological. And a lot of times as believers, we turn away from the deeply theological because a lot of times we don't know what to deal with, how to deal with it, or we might feel like it's a little heady or a little boring or it might not be like directly relevant. But the truth is, good theology keeps us from bad theology. And so it's vitally important that we understand that we know the hows and the whys of Scripture and what God is doing so that we can prepare our hearts for who he really is. And Hebrews is basically a setup for that. These group of Hebrew Christians, a large group of them is being pressed by culture to return to an old way of life. They're being pressed by their families to, to reject the New Testament, to re or the New Covenant, to reject the New Covenant and Jesus and return to the Old Covenant in Judaism. To basically say, look, Jesus isn't worth all that. Return to Moses, return to the law. This is the way it should be and push away from Jesus. And our entire book, the author, the preacher, whoever this is, it's writing because we don't really know. The entire argument he's making is Jesus is better. He's better than the angels, better than the law, better than Moses. He's better than the high priest. He is the perfect and only high priest you ever need. Jesus is our only hope. The entire scope of the book so far has been why Jesus is better and why he's enough. So for you and I, it applies like this. We need to hear why Jesus is better than everything else the world's going to tell us. Better than material possessions, better than the praise of people, better than self-reliance, better than all those things that we think we can do, our own morality. Jesus is the only way, and the entire argument has been that. Well, up until now, it has been mainly theological. It's mainly been, here's the reasons. And as he's closing out his sermon or a book, the book, basically author's going to say, but now here's the, the how you're going to live. Here becomes the challenges, and it's going to take a turn for the practical. 
And that's what we saw last week. Last week we saw this turn for the practical where he talks about now we have the opportunity to draw near to God because of Christ. To hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because God is faithful. And as we saw last week, that we are called to meet more frequently together because Jesus is returning and to encourage one another to be good to one another. And we talked about the practical sides of what that meant. I encourage you, if you haven't caught up or you would like to, to go take a listen, find the podcast. It's on our website or Greg videos, all this stuff. And you can go back there and watch those things and take a listen to them. But I encourage you to do that because we're turning the corner to the last portion of this book where it gets real practical. And this morning, what's going to happen is our author's going to do what he does every once in a while. He's going to stop and he's going to give us a warning. He's basically going to say, are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? And then he's going to sweep us back into the practical as we head down that direction. What we're going to learn this morning is that we're dealing with something very real, something we need to pay attention to. And it's got startling and staggering consequences if we don't. But in the middle of it, there's this call to remember and this call to persevere and this call, this true call to not be afraid. So as we prepare our hearts to go before the Lord, open his word, we're going to pray a little bit. We're ask God going to teach us. And then we're going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Uh, I think we're going to go 26 through the rest of the chapter. And we'll cover it all in two big sections this morning. But let's pray and then we'll open it up and see what it says this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it never changes, that it is authentically true in every aspect and every portion. It is not a guidebook. It is not some book of great promises, Lord. It is your very love letter to us. It is not a suggestion manual or a kind of a guide in how we should live. It actually is your law laid out, and it is beautiful. And it is a picture of redemptive history from the moment of creation where you breathed life into our very lungs and you formed the earth with your hands and you hung the stars from those moments until the promised return of your Son and what lies beyond, Lord. You have covered everything that we need. And Lord, the truth is we're living in a world right now that is on some level scary and on another level petrifying. There are a lot of unknowns behind a lot of corners. But your word is not silent on those things. Your word actually gives us great hope for a world that is unknown. Your your word gives us great hope for a world that is pressing in on us on all sides. Your word gives us great hope for times that we are fearful and anxious Lord, your word gives us great hope. And so this morning, that's what we ask, Lord. We ask that you would just teach our hearts. They would heed the warning that we're going to see. We would take it seriously. And it would turn our hearts towards you. And that, Lord, we might find joy in the truth that we see in your word this morning. Take a moment in your own heart as you sit here and just ask the Lord to teach you. Just ask him to teach your heart. Just something simple. Lord, just something I need to hear this morning. Lord, just press it on me through your Holy Spirit. Just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Take a moment and just pray for someone beside you, behind you, in front of you, around you. We do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Pray for your husband, your wife, that person you never met. Just ask God to move in them. Care deeply about the people around you. Lord, we turn our hearts over to you this morning. We ask you to teach us and instruct us and encourage us and convict us. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. 
So a little bit of a, of a longer section. We're going to go 26 to the end of the chapter, and it's going to break us into two main sections. The first one's going to be this stern warning, and the second one's going to be the sort of encouragement that comes on the heels of that warning. So normally we might cover half of this, but I think they go so well hand in hand that we need the encouragement as we heed the warning. So let's look at that this morning, and then we will break it up. So this is chapter 10. Uh, we'll start in verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay again. The Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to, be, to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received light, the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were treated. You sympathized with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and who are saved. So a big lengthy piece of text to tell you there are two main sections here. The first one you heard immediately. It is a very stern warning. Now, throughout this book, we actually have seen our author do that. It's, it's, that's why this plays out so well as a sermon as opposed to an actual written book and most likely was a sermon that was preached or some type of teaching that was preached. Because every once in a while, he just pauses right in the middle of his thought and he just says, do you understand what I am telling you? Like, do you hear the gravity and that's what's happened. Last week he gave this kind of a turn to this incredible practical, like, listen, draw near to God, right? Like, take this incredible hope. Be good to one another. And he gives this, and then all of a sudden he just stops and he says, listen, I need you to understand how serious what I'm talking about really is. Before I continue to tell you the promises that we have and what we need to do and how we live, I need to know that you are tracking with me. Like, do you really get it? Because remember what these Jewish Christians are facing. They are facing an onslaught of culture and family that is telling them that if they don't turn back to Judaism, if they don't reject Jesus in the new covenant, they will forever be pushed outside the covenant family of Judaism. They'll be rejected by their culture, by their families, and many of them left completely and totally alone. And they are being pressed on all sides to return to what's easier. And it's funny because it's not like the old covenant was easier, but it was easier culturally. They're called to embrace that, to reject Jesus. And our author says, do you understand what is at play? And he gives them this incredibly stern warning. And it's important that we understand what this warning is saying and what it's not saying. So before we kind of break it up, I want you to hear it again. And I want you to listen to its gravity, right? If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, 
No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now that is a warning. And he's serious about it. But we've got to understand it. So what is it that our author is really talking about when he says, if we deliberately go on sinning, right, there is no opportunity left for repentance, essentially, for being cleansed, for being sanctified. What is he talking about? And this is important because if we miss this, this can lead us to great discouragement. But if we get it, it leads us to incredible encouragement. We have to pay attention to what's been unfolding throughout the entire book. And that's why understanding Scripture and its context is really important. That's why we can't just pick and choose things and say, I like this, I want to skip that. We have to understand what's unfolding. Because if you've been with us for 24 weeks, you will know that our author is doing something much bigger than just telling people to be careful about individual sin. He's talking about something great. If you deliberately keep on sinning. Now, our author is not talking about habitual struggles with sin, pride, envy, lust, jealousy, whatever those are. He's not talking about those very real things that you and I as followers of Christ struggle with, that we continue to struggle with trusting the Lord or opening our hearts up to him or or being fearful or anxious or worrying or all those sinful habitual things that creep into our lives as we walk out our relationship with Christ. He's not referring to those. However, those are very serious. And if you are dealing with them, we want you to pray through them. Talk to me, talk to Brandon, talk to your life group. We want to walk you through that. But that is not what our author is referring to this morning. He's talking about something much bigger He's talking about the rejection of Jesus as the only way, as Jesus being better. If you deliberately continue to choose that Jesus is not the way, if you deliberately continue to go down the road that says the law, the angels, my culture, Judaism, the prophets, the Old Old Covenant, the old high priest, if you continue to walk down that way that says those are better, that there is a different and better way other than Jesus, then you need to be warned. Because once you choose that road, right, there is no opportunity for return. Why? Because Jesus is the only one that can save you. If you reject that, Jesus, as the Savior, as the only way, there is no other way to return. He is the only way. Meaning that once you have trampled the Son of God and the blood that sanctifies you underfoot and you reject it, you will not get to the end of that path and find another way to eternal life. And this is what he's warning about. He's saying, are you tracking with me? I am not talking about something light. This has eternal, eternal consequences. And he says it right there in those first two verses. If we deliberately keep on sinning, we have received, we, after we've received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Why? Because we rejected the only sacrifice that matters. The old covenant cannot save you any longer. Remember, it is not the way of atonement any longer. Jesus is the only and better and best and final sacrifice. And if you reject that one, there is no other 
way. Meaning that once you return without Christ, there is no way to be saved. There is no sacrifice left. But the fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire, raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now it sounds brutally harsh, but it's not new. I mean, he's been saying this the entire book, which means essentially if you don't believe in Jesus, there is no other way to be saved. That's why religious pluralism will never, ever save us. All roads do not lead to heaven. Scripture is absolutely 100% clear on that. And that is hard to swallow, but it is true. Scripture does not waver on that, and it does not falter on that. It tells us that Jesus is the only way. And if you want evidence for it, it's right here. That once we reject that, there is no other way to sacrifice for sin, but we can expect the fearful expectation of the judgment and raging fire of the enemies of God. He's basically saying you can't play around with this stuff. He goes on to say this. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished when he tramples the Son of God underfoot, treated unholy the blood that basically was the covenant that was sanctified for him, insulted the Spirit of grace? So he says, listen, you want to talk about Moses? You guys want to return to Moses and the old covenant and the old way of life? Do you know that when someone died in the old covenant and they rejected the law of Moses, they were punished by God? So he says, do you know when they rejected Moses' law that was handed down to Moses by God and they rejected it, they were punished. How much more do you think they'll be punished now that they actually trampled underfoot the Son of God? If they were punished in the Old Covenant for rejecting Moses' law that was handed down by God, how much more is the penalty for rejecting Jesus himself, for trampling underfoot Jesus, and for calling unholy the blood that was poured out for them? You see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you want to run back to Moses. The people that rejected Moses, they were punished as well. How much more is that punishment going to be if you reject Jesus, the only remaining sacrifice? Because all the law of the old covenant led to Jesus. So he basically just makes a statement going, you want to return thinking that God's wrath, you can escape it, but you can't. So he says you can't run from it. right? And when you reject it and you return from it, there's great mercy in the new covenant. But there's also great judgment. We have to be aware of it. And then finally, that last warning, he says this. For we know he who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay again. And the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those are rough sentences. Actually, Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, that entire line was pulled directly from this piece of text. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We've talked about judgment throughout this book all the time. We can't escape it. The reality is we will die and we will face judgment. Every single one of us. The question is, who stands before us in that judgment? Are we standing defending ourselves on our own morality? We'll fail. We literally will face the wrath of God. But what we've learned all through Hebrews is that when we believe in Jesus, we put our hope and our trust in him, right? We no longer face God's judgment alone. We have a great mediator the great high priest who goes before us, who atones and cleanses our sin so that God's wrath is no longer on us. This is the entire picture of the book of Hebrews. And this is what he sets up this warning. And basically all that warning to say this, right? To just say simply this. 
There are eternal consequences for rejecting Christ. There are eternal consequences. It's not a game. This isn't a feel-good game. He's saying, listen, I need you to pay attention because eternal life and death rests on what we do with Jesus. It's the most important question you will ever deal with. And so he says, eternal consequences rest on rejecting Christ. There are eternal consequences for it. And that's the big warning. And none of this should come as a surprise because we have talked about it at length time and time and time again. All right. Scripture is full of this. But here's the beautiful thing about Scripture, right? Is that none of it ends there. God's incredible redemptive plan provided a way out of all of this. And that's the beautiful part that he's going to step into. He's going to go, now that I have your attention, now that you have heard me literally give you this warning, and we're not playing games, this isn't a joke, right? Following Christ is not some feel-good kind of activity that we go to church and we wear shirts and we do all those kind of things and God laughs at our sin and it's all just fun and games. No, we are dealing with eternal things and they are real. And there are a world of people around here that are dying without Jesus. And we don't seem to be motivated. So he's saying, hear me. You cannot play around with this. Take it seriously. And that's, that is God's word in a nutshell. We are not guaranteed what happens when we walk outside these doors tomorrow. What do we do with the truth of the gospel? Do we really believe in this Jesus? The sacrifice for our sin, we put our hope in him, we are saved both for eternal life when we die, but the abundant real life that begins tomorrow. You are called to this beautiful full life. And this is what our author says is the great part of all this. So he says, yes, there are eternal consequences for rejecting Christ. However, there are eternal glories for persevering in Christ. That's the second part of this. Listen to these first two verses of that second section. So we got this great warning. Now he begins to turn the corner. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood ground in the great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were treated so. You sympathized with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting promises. He says, listen. Now remember, he's, he's speaking to this group of Hebrew believers. They've given their life to Christ and they are being tempted to reject all that in return. He says, listen, you've heard my warning. There are eternal consequences for rejecting Christ. However, remember, there are eternal glories for persevering in him. Do you remember the day when you first accepted the light? In other words, do you remember those moments when you first gave your life to Christ? When all of this was brand new? When you were persecuted? When you suffered in those early days? When you stood your ground in the great contest in the face of suffering? Do you remember those days? These early believers in the early church, they were radically persecuted, some even to the point of death. And he said, do you remember those days when you gave your life to Christ and it was a joy and you stood in suffering and you were persecuted? And even those days when maybe you weren't, but you stood side by side with those that were being suffering or those who were being persecuted as well. Do you remember when you stood by them? When you sympathized with those who were in prison? In other words, those believers that were arrested by the Romans. And they were thrown in jail for believing that there was one true God. Do you remember when you sympathized with them, when you prayed for them, when you took them things? Do you remember those days? Do you remember those days when you suffered and you found joy in it? Do you remember those days when you stood with people and they weren't just an inconvenience, but they were your brothers and sisters? Do you remember those days, right? Listen to this. 
when you sympathized with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, meaning the Romans came in or the Jews came in and they kicked the doors down and they took all your stuff and you were joyful about it because you knew what? That they were better and lasting things for you. Now, I don't know when you gave your life to Christ. I don't know how this thing unfolded for you, but somewhere along the way, our, our joy of our Christian life often gets washed up in habit. But if you really peer back into your life, do you remember the joy and the excitement when you first started walking with the Lord, when you started reading his word, when you faced some suffering, but you were like, that's okay because God is good. He's got me. He won't ever let me go. When you saw other people that were suffering and you wanted to go over there and tell them I love you and I want to pray for you and I actually care about you. When you saw people who were marginalized and you wanted to walk with them and not scoff at them because they were an inconvenience. When your heart broke for the things that broke God's heart. When you saw people around the world that were suffering and you actually cared about them and weren't just tied up in the inconvenience of wearing or not wearing a mask, but you're watching believers in Africa and Afghanistan die and it broke your heart. Do you remember those days? Do you remember the days when you would lose something and you didn't care because you weren't so wrapped up in the material world and possessions that you were like, that's all right, it's just money, it's just stuff. There are better and lasting things for me. Somehow life has a way of beating those things out of us. Of beating them into the mundane. So the first thing that our author says as an encouragement is I want you to remember. And here's my big struggle as a believer. And I have a lot of them, but this is one of my big ones. I have a really, really short memory. That as soon as things go sideways, get hard, get challenging, I forget all the ways that God has been so faithful to me over the years. The way that he has never left me nor forsaken me, never let my family fail, drown, or die. But literally has always provided for us. But as soon as things get hard, I get panicky. Because my memory is short. And what our author's saying is like, have a real memory. Remember what God has done. He has saved you. He has rescued you from the pit. He has walked with you. He has prepared a way for you. He has given you and exchanged your old heart for a new one. He has given you life. He has never, ever failed you. Remember that. Remember the days when suffering wasn't a discouragement. You didn't think God was mean. You didn't just wish you had something else. But you actually said, God, I believe you're here in this suffering. Remember the days when other people suffered and you wanted to run by their side and say, God is so good. Let me be with you. Let me pray with you. When you actually cared. You remember those days? You remember the days when you weren't so wrapped up in your material possessions that you would, God called you, you would give something away? Where you weren't so fearful about holding on to money? Because it all belonged to him anyway. Because why? Because you had better and lasting things. And I'm not just talking about in heaven. I'm talking the fact that God wants to give you better and lasting things. And those better and lasting things aren't as material. Better peace, better joy, better truth, better life. God wants to give you better and lasting things. But most of us won't turn loose of the material enough to even allow ourselves to receive them. But there was a day. I don't know, it may have been 50 years ago for you. It may have been two. It may have been a month. But there was a day that day when you found joy in those things. Take it. I got Jesus. Suffering hurts, but it's not the end. 
It breaks my heart that that person's hurting, and so I want to tell them I care for them. He says, remember. Then he goes on to say this. So I want you to remember. But look at the next two verses. He says, so do not throw away, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So he says, listen, persevere. Do not throw away your confidence. So all throughout Scripture, we are called to persevere. You know what persevere means? It means that we are called to stay strong in the face of difficulty because we know something better is coming. Perseverance brings about character. It brings about maturity in Christ. In other words, continue to grow. A large portion of this book, you remember about chapter 6 and 7, was really about maturity in Christ. Don't be an infant. Grow in Christ. Be mature. Have God lead you. Begin to trust him and truly trust him. Don't throw away your confidence over things that don't matter. In other words, when life begins to crumble a little bit, don't panic and throw it all in. Mature people, right? People that are persevering realize that my life is not wrapped up in the here or now. These are light and momentary troubles. And that if I truly look at the scope of Christ's work in my life, I would realize that. And so I will not throw away my confidence. I will persevere. Why? Because I want to grow in Christ. So Lord, as hard as this is right now, whatever I'm dealing with and struggling with, show me where you are at work. I want to know you. Lord, help me trust you. Lord, help me rely on you. God, I am petrified. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do, but I want to grow in you. I have no answers for the things that are going wrong in my life. I have no answers for the struggles that we have as a family. But Lord, I want to trust in you. Help me persevere. Don't let me throw my confidence away. Don't let the enemy come in and punch those lies down my throat. So he says, remember, persevere. Don't throw your confidence away. Life is hard. It's hard for everyone. It has its moments of great joys and its valleys of deep struggle. But the season you are in will not last forever. So remember and persevere. And then finally he says this, don't be afraid. Right? Listen, for in just a little while, verse 37, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. So he who is coming will be back in a little while, and he will not delay. Who's coming back? Jesus is coming back. We talked about this last week. I know two things about the return of Christ. One, he's coming. Scripture is very clear about it. And two, we're closer today than ever before. Right? We don't know the day or the hour, but I know that we're closer than we were yesterday promises Christ's return. And our author says he's coming back and he's not going to delay. So listen, don't shrink back. Don't be afraid. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more the enemy is going to press and attack on the lives of believers, the more you're going to be inclined to shrink back. And you know what shrink back means? It just means that we cover back into our shell. It means we begin to take comfort in what we know and we put our protection in our walls up and we say, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm going to hide in what I know is comfortable and safe because I'm afraid of what is out there. And he says, but Jesus is coming back. That's the promise. Do not shrink back. Do not be afraid. He will not be pleased with those who do. In other words, God is calling you not to be afraid. 
He is calling you not to live in fear. He is calling you not to live in that part of you that says, I don't know, so I will not risk. And if the only thing you have to cling to is this in life right now, it is a great thing to cling to, and that is this, Jesus is coming Even if you cannot see on the other side of your mountain of financial problems, your mountain of relational issues, your difficulty with anxiety and fear, your worry, your struggle, even if you can't see on the other side of that, you can hang firm and tight to this reality. Jesus is coming back. This season will not last forever. Even if it's the only hope you've got, it is a big one. But Scripture actually tells us that there's better hope because we have better and lasting things. That not only is that a great thing to look to, but it's not the only thing to look to. God's promises are real. And we are called not to shrink back and not to be afraid. And he gives them this incredible nugget. Just just when you think he's kind of laying into and lecturing these people and beating them down, he says this. He gives them this incredible, beautiful line where he says, But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who believe and are saved. So he says, listen, this does not define you. We are not those that shrink back and are destroyed. We are those that believe and are saved. See, he's not blasting them. He's warning them and then encouraging them by saying, fear does not define you. The lies of the enemy does not, they don't define you. Your short memory does not define you. Just because you don't remember does not mean that it is not true. Just because you don't see the answer does not mean that it's not there. And just because you don't see it happening the way you want it does not mean that God is not absolutely 100% at work. We are not those that shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who believe and are saved. In other words, do not let fear run your life. That's not us. Why? Because we are believers. And fear has no room in the life of a believer because it's not from the Lord. The Lord pushes it out. That's not us. That's the lie of the world. It's a lie of the enemy. You are not that person. You are not the person that shrinks back. You are not the person that's afraid. You are not the person that's beat down. You are not the person that is helpless, that is shamed, that is hopeless. No, he says you actually are something much more remarkable. You are a follower of Christ and you are fully alive. Remember, persevere, and don't be afraid. This is incredible stuff. I mean, think about the pressure that these men and women were facing to have heard that. This is not you. It doesn't define you. Quit acting like it does. Man, makes me want to stand up and run through a brick wall for the Lord, right? Like, that's true. That's not me. I'm not defined by that. I'm not defined by my biggest failure, by my biggest fear. God tells me I'm something else in him. I just got to remember that and not let the lies of my short memory push all that away. Not let my desire for comfort push away my desire for growth. Because sometimes those things don't go hand in hand. It's when I'm uncomfortable that God is moving and growing me. If I'm fully comfortable all the time, I promise you I'm probably not growing in Christ. But in the middle of all that, I'm not going to shrink back. Even if it means I face a little suffering. Even if it means I've got to walk with other people that are. And even if it means a confiscation of my stuff. Like, take all this crap. There are bigger and better things. Lasting things. True hope, true peace, true joy, true life, and the promise of everything that's to come. And all that is better than anything this world has to offer. The season you are in is temporary. 
Jesus is returning, whatever that day is. But before then, even, he has promised you incredible things. And we are called to heed the warning. We cannot throw away the reality of the gospel. There are eternal consequences for rejecting Christ, but there are eternal glories for persevering him. So remember, persevere, and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word, that it never changes, that it is powerful, powerful, powerful. We are not defined by our failures or by the world, but we are called to something bigger and better and greater. We are called to better and lasting things. Lord, we do acknowledge, though, that there are real consequences for rejecting Christ. This is not a game. But we also remind in the middle of all that there are beautiful glories for persevering in Christ. In the face of suffering, in the face of struggle, there are beautiful glories that wait, better and lasting glories. True life, true joy, true peace, true hope. A life that we love. A life that we love. So help us remember who you are, what you've promised, what you've done. Give us long memories, not short ones. That when we face suffering, we see you there. That when we see somebody else suffering, instead of seeing an inconvenience, we see an opportunity to encourage and love. Lord, that when we have our stuff confiscated, (laughs) whether it's just because of life or because something happens, that's okay. It's just stuff. Just stuff. Better and lasting things you have for me, Lord. So I'm not going to throw in my confidence. I'm going to persevere. I want to grow in you. And I will not shrink back. Why? Because that's not who we are. We are not those who are afraid and are destroyed. We are those, Lord, we are those who have faith and are saved. So, Lord, as we close our time in worship, press those things on our soul and let us proclaim them at the top of our lungs because, Lord, you are better and you are lasting. Let's stand together.